Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, my name's Steve, if we haven't met before, but it's good to be with you on Christmas Eve. Uh, please turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament, to the book of Ruth. Uh, we've been going through the book of Ruth these last few weeks in Mafra Church, and uh, you might be a bit puzzled why we'd be reading Ruth at Christmas time. Well, simple reason. The book of Ruth climaxes with a birth in the little town of Bethlehem that changes the world. Now, God is a God who does things in orderly, sensible ways, patterned ways. And so God in the Old Testament sets up examples that foreshadow what he's going to do when he sends the Lord Jesus, whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. And so we find in the story of Ruth a foreshadowing, a pattern of something that God repeats more wonderfully later on. Let's pray before we start and then we'll read together. Uh, loving Heavenly Father, we uh, pray that you would help us tonight to hear your word well and to listen hard and to reflect. And we pray that you would teach us the things that we need to hear tonight uh, from your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the idea of the backstory. Um, it, it's something which I became familiar with, not because I watch TV talent shows, but I heard somebody describing one. So Guy Sebastian was the winner, I think, of the first series of Australian Idol, but he became a judge on one of the other talent shows on the telly. And uh, I heard an interview with him once where he was asked what was going to set this particular series of whatever the talent show was apart from the others. He said, we've got some fantastic backstories. Now, he wasn't telling us that the people that we auditioned to get on the show were brilliantly talented. What he said was that they've all, there's some fantastic backstories. What that means is that the people who are going to go on the show have something about them in their past that is going to make their performance on the show even more interesting than it would have been if they were just talented. In other words, they've had to overcome some sort of hurdle or they've got some dark secret in their past and that's supposed to make their light shine a bit more brightly. The idea of the backstory. But I want to tell you another story from Australian television history. Do you remember Hey Hey It's Saturday? Some of us are old enough to remember that. And the highlight of Hey Hey It's Saturday was probably the Red Faces talent quest. Remember that? And the idea of Red Faces was that occasionally somebody talented would emerge but on all the other occasions, people like you and me sat there and cringed while people who really shouldn't have been on the telly went through their stuff. Now, Daryl Summers wasn't the judge of the program. He was the host of the whole thing. But I remember he came up to this fellow one night and, and the fellow had presented himself as being a comedian. Now, comedians are supposed to make you laugh, but this fellow just made us sorry because he wasn't funny. And so Daryl came up and put his arm around him and instead of putting him down, he said, mate, your material lacks a tag. Your material lacks a tag. In other words, there has to be some point to the exercise. The joke has to lead us somewhere. Every time you tell a story, there's got to be a reason. There's got to be a point to the story. We're going to get to the reason that the book of Ruth was written tonight. The tag, if you like. Ruth is a backstory to an incredible story, but it's a backstory to the greatest story. And we're going to see the tag tonight. So, the story so far, if you don't know the book of Ruth very well, the story goes like this. It's four little chapters, it's effectively a love story. And we all like love stories, especially when they work out well. But in the story of Ruth, as we have it in the Bible, 
A family from Israel, from the territory of Judah, falls on hard times because of a famine. So a famine's come on the land and this family, led by the father Elimelech and the mother Naomi and their two sons Marlon and Kilion, they think our prospects are going to be better if we move to a neighbouring country, to a place called Moab. And so they move to Moab because there's more likely to be food there. And so they go there, but then tragedy strikes because the head of the clan, Elimelech, he dies. But Marlon and Kilion, the two sons of the widowed Naomi, they find two women from Moab and they marry them. So there's Orpah and there's Ruth. And so Marlon and Kilion marry Orpah and Ruth, but then tragedy strikes again. The two sons of Naomi die. Now this, I don't know, you might think, well, that happens all the time. But the thing is, in the world of that time, the particular tragedy of this was that that meant that Naomi was not just a widow, but she had no one to provide for her in her old age. There was no social welfare back in those days. There was no dole. There was no widow's pension. Naomi was destitute. But the other tragedy of it was this, that a person who died without descendants believed while they were alive, if they didn't have a descendant, they'd be forgotten. And no one wanted to be forgotten. The worst thing that could happen to you in those days was that if you died without a descendant, because the descendant carried your name on. Now you might think, well, that doesn't really matter. When I die, I'm just going to become food for worms. But it mattered to them. And at the time that the Bible was written, that was a very important factor. So we've got Naomi left on her own with two women who don't belong to her country. And so she says to the girls, look, I've got to to go back where I came from. And the girls say, well, we'll come too. And she says, no, there's nothing, there's no reason why you would come back. Because if you do, what, are you going to wait for me to marry again and have a child and Wait for that child to grow up so you can marry him and then have children? No, no, go back where you came from, and she said that in the nicest possible way, and have children there and find happiness there. And so Warpah said, fair enough, good idea, but Ruth said, no. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. She said, Nothing but death is going to part you and me, Naomi. Now, what a thing to say to your mother-in-law. That's what she said. It's extraordinary. And so they went back to Bethlehem, to the little town that Naomi had come from. She goes back as a widow with a widowed daughter-in-law. Neither of them has got a child anymore. And they get back there. And we're told in chapter 2 that they got there just in time for the grain harvest, which is a glimmer of hope. Now, they didn't have land that they could harvest themselves, but God had provided in the Old Testament, in, in the earlier part of the Old Testament in the law, that when you harvested your field, you had to leave the grain on the outskirts of the field for the poor to come and harvest themselves. And there was also an instruction... That when you harvested your field, if a sheaf of wheat somehow got dislodged as you were doing it, you weren't to go back and pick it up because that was to be left for the gleaners, the people who were too poor to have their own land who would pick up what you had missed. 
And so Ruth gleaned. And we're told in chapter 2 of the book of Ruth that she was gleaning in the field of a man called Boaz. Now Boaz likes the look of Ruth and he asks about her and he realises that Ruth has been very kind to this woman Naomi. And she's pledged herself and her support to this woman Naomi. Boaz likes what he's heard and so he says to the people who work for him on the farm, look after her, treat her well. And it's pretty keen that Boaz has his eye on Ruth. So Ruth goes back to Naomi and she said, where have you been today? She said, I gleaned in the field of Boaz. And Naomi says, well, that's good because Boaz is a relative. But he's more than a relative. She calls him an interesting word. She calls him a redeemer. She says he's one of our redeemers. Now, in the Old Testament of the Bible, it was part of God's plan to make sure that there was no poverty among his people, that a redeemer was a close family relative who had duties to fulfil if another member of the family fell on hard times. And so, in other words, if there was a legal matter, if there was a a, a matter to do with possession of land, but especially if a person died childless, there was provisions in God's law to look after these people. And so we get to the end of chapter 3 of the book of Ruth and Naomi has said that Boaz is one of their redeemers and Boaz has said he's pretty keen on Ruth but he says there's actually someone who's closer to Naomi than me and for me to be a good citizen and a good Jew I've got to ask him if he wants to redeem you, if he wants to take on the role that I've just described. And so the end of chapter 3 finishes like this. Naomi replied, wait my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out for the man will not rest but will settle the matter today. So we pick up our reading in chapter 4. Please have a look at Ruth chapter 4 and it starts like this. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. That word now, you could almost translate it meanwhile. So while Naomi's speaking to Ruth, Boaz is already going because he's keen. He wants to marry Ruth. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Now, back in those days, towns of any size had a wall around them. Uh, That was for protection. But the main gate in and out of the city was where all the business of the town was done. It was where the city leaders met. It was where judicial decisions were made. It was where a lot of trade took place. It was the obvious place for Boaz to find the other redeemer. And behold, there he is. That's another sign that God's directing traffic. Behold, oh, who should turn up at just the right time? This other redeemer. Now, Boaz, we've already seen, was a worthy man. He was a man of standing in the city. And so he gets 10 witnesses because he wants to make sure that this is all done properly. And so we read on in verse 3. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And so this other redeemer, the closer redeemer, then replies and says, I'll redeem it. Now that 
is a complication in the story because up until now the author of the book of Ruth has been positioning us to want Boaz to marry Ruth. That's how stories work, isn't it? When you watch the telly, the director of the show has all sorts of ways to let you know who you should be barracking for, right? In the old cowboy movies, they wore white hats, right? The baddies had the black hats, right? In the story of Ruth, we all know how we want this to finish up. Now, there's this idea of there being a family member who has to take responsibility for another family member if things have gone bad, but we sense within this that this is actually going to turn out to be a really nice love story. And now this other bloke says, no, I'll take the field. So what's Boaz going to do? Is this going to end well? I will redeem it. Here's Boaz and his masterstroke, verse 5. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Now, that's news that hadn't got through to this other redeemer. You can have the land, but it's a job lot. Along with the land, you get the woman. And she's not one of us. She comes from Moab, which means she's a foreigner. Now, the thing that Boaz points out is here that part of the duty of this man, if he buys the land and gets the girl... Their first child is going to be not his son or daughter, but the daughter of Ruth's husband. Because that's his duty. He has to perpetuate the name of the dead It is in, in his inheritance. You might think that's weird, but you didn't live when these people did. And that's how they looked at life. Back in those days, just about the nastiest thing you could say to someone by way of cursing them was to say, may your seed perish and your name die out. That was about the worst thing you could imagine. They didn't have a very advanced view of the afterlife. They had a very dim view of life beyond the grave. So the best that they could get out of life had to be now and the idea that their name would live on. And so this law was in place to make sure that people who died without children would have someone to inherit from them. So the Redeemer says in verse 6, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. In other words, he's weighed up the risk and the reward. It'd be a good thing to have that land, he thinks. Yep, I'll do that. You get the woman too. Ooh, he says. Because that is going to put at risk his inheritance. And so he reneges on the deal. He says, no, you can do it. Which leaves open the prospect now that Boaz can marry the girl, which is what we've all been wanting. And so we move on to verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction that one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have brought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Marlon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Marlon, I've brought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead man may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day 
Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who built who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz gets the land and he gets Ruth. And he does this to do all that the law required. Um, Boaz, to simplify the whole thing down, has decided, I'd like the land, but I really do want Ruth. Because there's something about her that attracts him as a wife. There's something about the fact that she's been so supportive to Naomi, that she's been a person who has demonstrated kindness. And Boaz thinks that's the kind of woman I'd like to marry. And so we can say this, that Boaz, for the sake of love, and also because of his trust in God, has married a woman even though it's going to be costly. Because you see, the thing is, the son is going to inherit on behalf of the deceased father, not on behalf of Boaz. And so Boaz stands to lose out of this if it doesn't work out well. But he's done the risk and reward calculation and decided to go ahead anyway for the sake of love and faith. Now the people of the village in in blessing Boaz have said, we want you to have lots of children, we want you to be like some of the great ones who've gone before us in Israel. And they're hoping that that Ruth and Boaz will have children together. That's the blessing that they offer. And so we move on to verses 13 to 21. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighbourhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So Boaz marries Ruth, but God, who's behind all that's been happening here, grants Ruth a son. Now remember that she'd lived in Moab for 10 years and hadn't had any children to her husband. So again, this is God orchestrating events. The town's women pronounce a blessing on Naomi and they tell her when he grows up, he'll be the one that provides for you in your old age. He'll become your redeemer. Now earlier on in the book of Ruth, we've had Naomi come back without a husband and without sons And when she gets back, her name, Naomi, which means sweetness, she says, no, call me bitter. She said, I went away full and now I've come back empty. But now, in her old age, she gets all that her heart desired and she nurses this little boy who the women of the town called Obed. Now, all the way through, God's been directing affairs all the way through. So if there hadn't been a famine in Bethlehem, then the family of Elimelech wouldn't have gone to Moab. And if the family of Elimelech hadn't have gone to Moab, then Ruth wouldn't have become Naomi's daughter-in-law. But then God providentially provided food back in Bethlehem, so they went back. 
But then Ruth happened to glean in the field of Boaz, just happened to. All the long way, there's a chain of events where each leads to the other and where the, 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 the next one depends on the former being fulfilled. You break any of those links in the chain and this doesn't happen. So here's the tag of the story. Have a look at that last verse. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. David was the greatest king Israel ever had. This is the backstory to how Israel got David. Now, Israel needed a good king because at the time that the book of Ruth was happening, Israel was in chaos. So the very end of the book of Judges, which is the book beforehand, tells us that at the time of the Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's called anarchy. If everyone does what's right in their own eyes and they don't have a very good idea of what right is, then might will win over what's right. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The book of Judges was chaos. But that little last verse of the book of Judges said, there was no king in Israel. Then the book of Ruth begins in the time of the Judges. So here's this little oasis, this beautiful story of a man falling in love with a woman, a woman who's behaved extraordinarily in her kindness and loyalty when she didn't have to, It's much more than just a cute little love story. The tag of this story is this is how David came into the world. The king that God raised up to restore peace and order to the the chaotic world that was surrounding the events that this story describes. And so at the end of the story, you get the more complicated family tree. But again, it ends with Jesse fathering David. So we look at the book of Ruth and to sum it all up, a birth in Bethlehem brings great joy. A birth in Bethlehem replaces bitterness with sweetness, with fullness instead of the tragedy of emptiness. And this birth's been brought about by a worthy Israelite who lives according to God's law. He does the things that God says his people should do and it turns out really well. And so this birth in Bethlehem changed history because it was the backstory to the great story of King David. But of course it's a backstory to something much more profound. So Nathan read before from the book of Micah and the book of Micah is frequently read at, at Christmas time because little Bethlehem, a town too small even to be counted amongst the cities of Judah, that was the place that God said was going to produce a king who would bring his peace to the whole world. David did the best he could and he was imperfect. He did establish peace for a while, but the kings after him didn't live by God's law and Israel descended again and again into chaos. So Israel should have learnt through all that chaos, we need a better king than even David. And so God through the prophet Micah says that king is going to come and he's going to come from Bethlehem. You remember Bethlehem, that's where David was born. And so God promises in Micah that this king who's going to be born from the humble little town of Bethlehem is going to lead to people living securely and he's going to be the means of their peace. Now we get to the New Testament and we read of course that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and he's the one that was prophesied in the book of Matthew in the book of Micah. And so what we've got here in the book of Ruth is this backstory. And now we've seen the tag, we've seen the point of the whole thing. The book of Ruth wouldn't have been written 
if it wasn't for the arrival of King David. But the arrival of King David was just a foreshadowing of a king who is going to do much more than David ever could because he's a king who is going to reign perfectly for God. And that's Jesus. So here we are at this Christmas season and if you've been paying attention, you'll realise that our world is at least as chaotic as the world of the judges. There's plenty going on in the world that causes grief and distress, isn't there? Imagine having Christmas in Ukraine. But Ukraine's only one of a number of wars that are going on. It's the most prominent one for us. But there's lots and lots of wars going on around the world that we never hear about because they can't get TV cameras there. Our world is in chaos. Are we longing for peace? Are we? Sounds good to me. I'd rather have peace in the world than Christmas lunch, actually. Because Christmas lunch will fill me up tomorrow. But the grief and the tragedy goes on and on and on. Now, this, friends, I want to tell you, I have pinned my hopes on this one from Bethlehem, Jesus, because he's going to come back one day. The book of Ruth exists in the Bible to show us how David arrived, but more than that, it's to show us how Jesus arrived. And the New Testament tells us why Jesus arrived. He arrived to bring the peace that only God can establish in his world. So if you want to rest from chaos then you need to find refuge like Ruth did. She said, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. And then Boaz says to her, you have taken refuge under the wings of Israel's God. Like a great big mother hen protecting the chickens, like an eagle protecting the eaglets. God is to anyone who comes to him and says, I can't do this without you. I need your help in a chaotic world. Jesus is the means by which God's peace comes to you now, but Jesus is the means by which God's peace will be established on earth. And it's peace that can only come when you put your faith in Jesus now. Don't leave Jesus out of Christmas. Don't think that it's about Santa. The book of Ruth is the backstory to the best story that's ever told, the story of how God is going to take chaos and replace it with the peace that comes through the baby born in Bethlehem. I hope it's your story this Christmas too. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you that he is the one who came to be born and to die so that we could be at peace with you. And so I pray that this Christmas season you would help us to focus on these things, to meditate on them, and to make sure that Jesus is our Prince of Peace, our our hope, the one that we've come to find refuge in, in this dark and chaotic world. So we thank you for the story of Ruth and we thank you for the way that it leads to this more wonderful story even of the birth of Jesus, our Saviour. And we pray that you would help us to, to reflect on these things and to take them to heart. In Jesus' name, Amen.